This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Businesses of all sizes have been affected by COVID-19. In response to this, Postmedia Solutions has created a five-step guide aimed to help you adapt your business during this global crisis. To get this free guide, visit postmediasolutions.com slash adapt. Internet usage and old-fashioned phone calls have skyrocketed during the pandemic as Canadians work from home, connect with loved ones virtually, and distract ourselves with Netflix binges. We've arguably never relied more on our telecom infrastructure. But what will this mean for the government's push to make wireless services more affordable? I'm Emily Jackson, and you're listening to Down to Business. This week, we're joined by TELUS executive Jim Senko, president of Mobility Solutions. Jim and I first spoke in early March when the coronavirus threat was just emerging. We discussed the federal government's demand that big telecoms lower wireless data prices and regulatory proceedings to introduce more competition. But before we jump into that discussion, I called Jim back this week to get a sense of how one of the country's biggest providers is grappling with COVID-19. I asked him how the pandemic has changed the way Canadians use their internet, wireless, and telephone services. We've seen significant changes in, in usage patterns since uh, social distancing. So I'll give you some examples. Overall voice traffic has increased by 45% nationally. We saw a surge in toll-free calling. So um, if you if you imagine all the um, 1-800 helplines that the government's creating to support Canadians uh, has created a surge of call volume and more businesses are working remotely. So they're using their toll-free conferencing. We have seen a real increase in the use of Wi-Fi uh, with mobile phone, mobile devices, and there have been periodic peaks of wireless data, but uh, largely people are staying home and, and using their, their smartphones uh, over Wi-Fi. We've also seen uh, voice over IP and video calls are up almost 500%. Uh, Virtual private networks are up over 40%. Home internet usage is up 40% as Canadians are working at home and doing education remotely. And then all of the uh, entertainment applications are up significantly, you know, gaming, uh, social media, uh, YouTube, Netflix. So definitely seeing a, a, a real change in usage behavior. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it sounds like it could be a good time to jump on the LTE networks, but people are really, really using internet, using voice networks in a way they simply haven't before as they're working from home and watching probably more Netflix than we all should. Now, there have been some reports of dropped calls and slow internet speeds across the country. How is TELUS's network in particular handling this surge in usage? So on the on the data front, really, really well. And and actually Open Signal has just released a new report. So they they did a, a global look at how networks are holding up during COVID and Canada overall placed first in the world um, for 4G. And in fact, that study showed uh, no degradation and download speeds from January to the last week of March, which is really, really good. And I would contrast that with um, some other regions. So 
like Europe has seen uh, declines uh, in download speeds of 10 to 20 percent. You know, the EU also asked streaming services like Netflix to dial back HD quality. Uh, we haven't had to do any of that. Where we have seen some stress is on toll-free calling. Um, and we did early on uh, work closely with um, the other operators to add capacity on interconnect. And and so interestingly for us, the, the biggest surge has been on voice and toll-free. But we haven't had any significant outages uh, on that front either. So, so when you're talking about data, that's both internet, whether people are using Wi-Fi or whether they're using their mobile data. The stats that I was quoting was mobile data, but I can also tell you that our landline, TELUS's landline uh, network has been very, very strong. And of course, we have a high percentage of our customers on fiber, uh, which has um, provided us a lot of capacity and, and is definitely handling the volume quite well. What does this say, these surveys that show Canada's networks are how they're performing during this pandemic? What does this say about the resiliency of Canada's telecom infrastructure? You know, it's funny. It's it's during a crisis when you you start to, I, I guess, recognize the importance of the investments in the infrastructure. But Canada has done really, really well in in our telecom infrastructure. And it's so critical now. It enables teleworking, telemedicine, digital education, government services, keeping people from going out of their minds by giving them, you know, Netflix and YouTube and other ways to stay entertained. And Tiger King. And Tiger King, especially <laughs> Tiger King. Yeah. You know, so you don't, when things are going good and we, and we say, you know, like, you know, we need to be able to make the investments to keep the network strong, you know, it doesn't resonate. But when you're in a situation like this, then you really understand in a more meaningful way why that investment is so important. I just came across a study, actually, it was done by an independent company called Eternity. And what they looked at is across multiple countries, how have how has in-office work declined and remote working increased and whether the countries are actually increasing productivity. And in Canada, um, remote work has increased by 170% and total productivity has actually increased by 25%. And that's not the case in the U.S. Productivity is down 7%. And in Europe, and and you know, we talked before about you know uh, in in countries where there's been MVNO regulation or price regulation, the infrastructure spend hasn't been there. In Europe, productivity has declined seventy percent in Italy, fifty five percent in France, sixty five percent in Denmark, fifty five percent in Germany. You know, so this is really when you start to see the power of the networks and, and why they're important. Now, when we spoke earlier, we also spoke about the government's push to increase wireless affordability by potentially allowing for more competition. What effect, if any, do you think this COVID-19 crisis will have on that conversation? My hope would be that there's a balanced review of all the um all the input. Um, obviously, there are Canadians that are struggling to afford the services, and and I think it's a fair push to to serve those in need. On the other hand, you know we need to make sure that that we can continue to invest uh, in a strong infrastructure, which. Um, is important for the economy of of Canada. On the investment side, you know, Canada is a hard place to build and run networks. You know, we have a very low population density. There's uh, very high spectrum costs. So, you know, we need to be able to have the revenue to support um, continuing to make those investments. And, you know, on the people in need side, we're trying to do a lot of things to target 
people with offerings that would help them. So we have a very uh, strong affordability play with public mobile. You know, we've innovated around internet for good for um, home internet where families in need can get internet for under $10. You know, we've been rolling out mobility for good for uh, teenagers who are coming out of foster care. And so, you know, I think the balance that we need to strike is, you know, how do we create specific programs for specific groups in need while allowing the operators to basically make enough money to continue to invest in a, in a robust and, and quality network? On the internet network side, where the government already does mandate competition through wholesale access, there have been some complaints during the pandemic. So some of these smaller players that do buy wholesale access to larger networks, they pay by how much capacity they use. And some have reported their costs just skyrocketing as people work from home and are using way more internet. Some are calling on the federal regulator to lower the rates that large players can charge them. In order to avoid a situation where they essentially can't cover their costs and they go out of business completely and potentially consumers lose service uh, due to financial challenges. I'm wondering, what's your reaction to that during this time? You know, that competition question does still seem to be front and center. So, I mean, the first thing is, is I'm the wireless guy, so I'm, I'm not the expert on the home net internet front. So um, I'm not sure that I'm the best person to answer that question. I, I think it's a complex question. I think it's probably a question better put to somebody who knows the area better. Fair enough. One last question for you before I let you go. What sort of lasting changes, if any, do you anticipate that this pandemic, this stay-at-home, social distancing, lockdown situation we're all living in. What sort of impact do you think this will have on how Canadians and the government view the country's telecom infrastructure? You know, I, I do think that for a long time, people's behaviors are going to be different. Um, it's going to take a while to rebuild confidence against the virus. And, and so you're going to see more people working remotely, and that's going to become more of a normal way of life. You're going to see, you know, more shopping done digitally. Um, you're going to see, you know, more online classes and, and those kind of things. And I think appreciation for, I think there's, I, I'm hopeful that there's more appreciation to the importance of having a strong infrastructure supporting all of those things and the, the benefits that everybody gets um, from them. You know, if that can lead to a more balanced discussion around ensuring that we keep investing in a, in a strong digital infrastructure for the Canadian economy while, you know, working together to make sure that no one's left behind. I think that's the right way to go. And, you know, I think it's always easy to just pick out a soundbite like, you know, prices are too high without understanding, you know, everything that goes behind that statement. I hope now going forward, people can appreciate and listen to kind of all the points of view on the subject and that we come out with a solution that continues to build a really strong Canadian economy and doesn't leave people behind. Clearly, telecoms, including TELUS, can argue their investments have proven critical during the pandemic. But that doesn't change the fact that the government has been pushing them to reduce wireless prices. Here's my first conversation with Jim, where we spoke about how wireless prices have indeed come down since late 2017, first when Shaw slashed his data prices, and then again in summer 2018, when Rogers was the first to launch unlimited wireless data plans. In the last year, they've come down by more than 30%, and that, that's from statistics from the CRTC. And yet no one talks about the fact that an iPhone 
cost has gone up by 200%. You know, at the same time that our rates are coming down, the devices are increasing by 200% and nobody even seems to care. Historically, Canada's prices have been higher than G7 countries. And there's also been this history of paying a lot of overage fees in Canada. I mean, for the past several years, overage fees have netted the telecom industry more than a billion dollars. So we have this change and then we have this consumer perception. Where do you see that disconnect coming in? So I can totally, I totally understand where, where the consumer is coming from. And, and as an industry, I think we did ourselves a disservice with Overage. And that was one of the reasons why we launched Shock-Free Data in, in, in Kudo. And, and we were planning on launching no Overage plans, which we call peace of mind. Uh, we didn't get them out first, but we were planning on doing it for just that reason. So I think that that is a valid concern. That said, the decisions that are being made really are a decision of consequence because the revenue that you get from the plans, if, if, if we lose that revenue, then we have to take into account cost. And that leads to either a drop in quality or, or a drop in affordability. It's just basic math and how, how that all comes together. Our costs, for example, are the highest in the G7. We pay the highest spectrum costs of, of any, any country in the G7. So to give you an example, what we as a carrier pay the government for spectrum is $340 per subscriber. In the U.S., it's only $200. We have some of the highest labor costs. All of our equipment, our devices, the equipment that runs our network are all subject to the U.S. exchange rate. So, you know, there's an element of revenue and cost and they have to work together. And we are driving costs down and we are driving affordability. My concern is just at the beginning of the 5G investment that we're going to make it hard to actually make the investment. And that's going to be bad for Canada overall. One of the things that can raise some eyebrows is the lower prices in certain regions of Canada where there is more wireless competition. For instance, in Quebec, I looked today on Kudo, for instance, for 45 bucks, uh, you can get a plan in Quebec that has four gigabytes of data. The same plan in Ontario is 45 bucks for one gigabyte of data. How do you explain those geographical differences if the network quality is the same and um, this is this is about more than just competition? So if if you look at the uh, if you look at Canada and you look at the average price uh, per uh, new activation, it's actually exactly the same between British Columbia, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, and Atlantic Canada. Alberta is slightly higher, and that's because in Alberta customers tend to buy the premium brands versus the flankers. And Quebec is lower and Quebec has been lower and Quebec was lower before Videotron even launched. So there's a, a dynamic that's happening in, in Quebec that is actually independent of the fourth carrier that came in. One thing that happens in Quebec, people buy lower data plans. Um, there's a higher percentage of flankers and, um, and prices have just, for whatever reason, have been historically lower in Quebec. So let's talk a bit, a bit then about, you know, some of the threats that Ottawa has come up with if the telecoms don't respond by lowering wireless prices by 25% for these plans that range from two gigabytes of data to six gigabytes of data. If that doesn't happen, the government will look to bring in more competition based on some analysis that more competition has led to lower prices. One potential avenue would be for the government to mandate mobile virtual network operators. TELUS is against these. So is Rogers. So is Bell. I mean, so is Shaw for that matter. Talk me through why TELUS is opposed to these. In 
every market where MVNOs have launched, there's two certain things that have happened everywhere. Number one, in the short term, if they're mandated at, with very low wholesale costs, they will be very disruptive and there will be price drops. There is no market where MVNOs gain significant market share or are sustainable. And many of the MVNOs long term go out of business. They don't create new infrastructure. And that short term impact on pricing leads to a cutback in investment because the carriers who are building the networks no longer have the revenue to support building the networks. But you're, you're still getting some revenue here, right? And I mean, in countries like the US, MVNOs, they're quite quite popular down there. There's MVNOs, but they're, they're, none of them have significant market share. Um, and in, in the US where there isn't mandated rates, the network operators are actually using them almost like a distribution channel where they're targeting very specific segments, which in that respect, that that's kind of kind of works without damaging the market overall. Um, but if if you get into a place where you're mandating rates and you're not, you're, you'll get a short-term impact, but you get no investment in the future. Now, during the recent wireless hearings, Telus's CEO said that Telus would cut 5,000 jobs and $1 billion worth of investment over five years, as well as reduce its charitable spending if the government does mandate MVNOs. You know, some have characterized this as a bit of an empty threat in this telecom environment. I'm wondering how serious is Telus about this? Serious enough that that was uh, a board approved proposal. So it went to our board. And look, the, the fundamental thing is the math doesn't add up. So on one hand, the government wants us to cut cost. On the second hand, they are organizing spectrum auctions such that our spectrum costs are the highest in the world. And yet they want us to invest in maintaining, you know, the leadership that Canada has on networks and to invest the billions of dollars that'll be required to upgrade to 5G. The math doesn't work. So if prices come down, we either have to have less affordability, less quality, or less cost. And and that's an implication. Math is math. And that's just the way it works. What does this mean coming at a time as telecoms are preparing to invest billions of dollars into 5G? You know, how would these rules affect the time frame of Canada's 5G rollout? Uh, a couple of things I'd like to say. Number one, just to remind people, Canada is a leader in the world on 4G. Uh, a recent uh, study by OpenSignal put Canada number two globally. Our, our download speeds are twice that of most of the G7 countries. And we're just behind South Korea, which has fully deployed 5G. So like, actually, we should be extremely proud. And if I were the government, I'd actually be proud of the accomplishments. We're driving price drops. We have leading network and doing that despite things like population density and cost of labor and, and those kind of things. So we're starting from a great place. Second thing I would say, 5G is critical. 5G is going to fuel the next innovations on healthcare, in ag business, our environment, smart cities, autonomous cars. And Canada does not want to fall behind the U.S. It's already hard enough for us to attract uh, those kind of industries and, and that kind of talent. So why would we want to go from significantly ahead of the U.S. to 
behind on this next wave of the digital economy. So, you know, if the regulation ends up putting us in a place where, you know, we're losing revenue and and we just have to make our balance sheet work and we can't invest as much, then it's going to mean that Canada is going to lag on this really important time of investment. And I'd really hate to see us fall behind the U.S. How much of a lag do you, do you see? You can see it already. The U.S. has been deploying their 5G networks already, and we're still figuring out spectrum auctions. So we're already 18 months behind the U.S. We could be three years behind. When it comes to the 5G investments, one question about the what goes into that. Uh, TELUS is planning on using Huawei equipment for its 5G networks. Is there an additional risk there? I'm wondering if TELUS is told by the government when they eventually make a decision on Huawei, look, you've got you to get that out of any sort of 5G networks. How are you considering that as you're investing or making your investment plans? So obviously anybody who's investing wants some degree of certainty so that they know what they're investing. And we're actually operating in a very uncertain time, right? So uh, like you look at capital markets and capital markets don't do well when there's uncertainty. Look at COVID right now. Um, so that that's a great example of not having clear direction on, on Huawei creates uncertainty. That's one thing that I would say. Secondly, we have worked with the government of Canada, followed all of their security regulations. We're very closely tied with them. We do not have Huawei in any sensitive parts of the network. We have never had problems with Huawei over the last 10 years. And we continue and will continue to work with the government to make sure that we do everything in our power to you know, create the safest, most secure environment possible. Beyond that, like I can't I can't really speculate on a decision that's still hypothetical, but what I can say is the lack of certainty doesn't help um, drive investment, and and we're already 18 months behind the U.S. You know, there there has been some suggestion that the telecoms started introducing the unlimited plans last summer in order to kind of preempt some of this political action and political price regulation and potentially a political push to get more new entrants, more MVNOs on board. What's TELUS's response to, to that? You know, were the unlimited plans kind of this, hey, see, we're lowering the prices, now don't regulate us. So I can, I, I'll tell you our story because- Well, it, you're the pricing yeah, guy. Yeah, I'm the pricing <laughs> guy, yeah. So in 2017, we launched shock, shock-free data on, on Kudo. So, you know, what we were trying to do is provide, start that journey down to minimizing overage charges. In spring of 2018, we laid out our plan to do four things for the TELUS brand. One was to launch unlimited plans. The second one was to separate the device repayment from the rate plan so that there was transparency. So um, 0% financing in all devices at $0. The third thing was to offer um, family discounts. So if you bring the whole family, you get even better deals. And the fourth thing was bring it back, which allows a customer to get a discount on the device up front if they bring it back at the end of their contract. There's a residual value, just like there's a residual value on a car lease. And that was board approved. And and so there was a lot of systems work, a lot of development that went into that. And we wanted to launch in a really, really great way. And we had a launch date of July 3rd. And that was our launch date that we were working from, from the summer of 2018 to the summer of 2019. Now you could say, why does it take so long to do all that stuff? 
it just does. We have complex systems. We had to add capacity to our network. We wanted to have an amazing customer experience and we thought it was important to launch them all together. You know, unfortunately for us competitively, a competitor launched before us, but you know, we didn't put our full marketing on until our launch date of July 3rd as we had planned. So in 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 our mind, we didn't even know that there was going to be a CRTC hearing when we got board approval and launched the strategy and the transformation project. So I could see where that narrative could come out, but I can tell you that it's absolutely not what drove it. So what what did drive it then? Our economics are driven by customer loyalty and we have the lowest churn in the industry. We have maybe the lowest churn or one of the lowest churns in the world. That's how our economics work because we save our customers and they stay with us longer. We don't have to spend crazy amount of money on gift cards or other types of inducements to get, you know, new people in while we lose them out the bottom of of the pile. Cheaper to keep them. Cheaper to keep them, right? So it's absolutely strategic for us to be a leader and customer first. And that was our motivation. And that's what we were driving to. So one last question before we let you go. How is Telus planning on responding to the government's latest direction? We're still figuring it out. You know, I, I think, again, disappointed. Um, one of the reasons why I'm disappointed was that there's a lot of conflicting data. Um, so are we making a significant decision that looks good today, but it'll look terrible in three years for, for Canada overall? And the problem with decisions like this is nobody thinks about what it's going to be like in three years. And many of the people who make the decision today and aren't going to be around in three years to live with the consequences. So disappointed that such a such a dramatic decision was made um, while there's conflicting data. And secondly, right in the middle of a CRTC process, which was uh, organized to consider all the data and that process isn't finished. So it's just kind of disappointing that 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 all kind of played out. We're you know, we're looking at all of our options on how we can make the math work. And it comes back to the math. Revenue minus cost equals what you can invest. Um, so you either if revenue comes down, you either drop your cost or you invest less. So it's going to have an effect on quality investments or affordability. That equation is such an important one. But you do often hear a criticism thrown at the telecom industry in Canada or is that its profit margins are actually really high, you know, especially in wireless, the profit margins are in the 40% range. This is for the big three players. And they say, you know, there's wiggle room there. What's your response to that? EBITDA margin doesn't include cost of capital or the cost of spectrum. TELUS has had negative free cash flow for five years now running as we've been building fiber to rural communities and building actually TELUS in that in that open signal um, was ranked number one in the world, even though Canada is number two. So We've been negative cash flow for five years building fiber and building the best network in the world. So, you know, like you've got to look at the cost of capital and you got to look at the cost of spectrum when you look at the whole picture. So EBITDA margin is not a, in our view, not a good measure to look at. Jim, thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. That was Jim Senko, president of Mobility Solutions at TELUS. Thank you so much for listening to Down to Business. A big thank you to our team for pulling this together remotely. Music and production by Bryce Hall, editing by Yadula Hussain, and web support by Pamela Heaven. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and rate us on your podcast app. I'm Emily Jackson, and until next week, I hope you all stay healthy and very connected to the internet. You can get all your business news at financialpost.com.